sometimes I feel. I don't know. I don't know. Buona giornata, buona serata, buona giornata. There's not really time to relax and take an espresso for Juventus. <laughs> you don't have to get a You don't have to get a Attaccare! Attaccare! Well, if there was one team that was certainly doing the attaccare this morning, it was Milan. And we're going to get to that in just a sec. Had to do the quick mention there, Josh, because it is a great day to be a Milan supporter. But welcome to the Euro Show here on FNR Football Nation Radio. Nick Devano and Josh Parrish here to take you through all the action in Europe over the weekend. A lot's been happening, not just in Serie A, but in the Bundesliga, La Liga. And we'll even touch on a bit of the Premier League as well, because you know what? We've got to give them a bit of love. I know we want to wait sometimes until Wednesday and let Nick Hughes and Oscar Rutherford come strolling in and give them their moment. But Josh, too much has happened over the weekend mm. that we feel like, look, it's Monday. Let's, you know, let the cat out of the bag and let's do this early. Yeah, I think we've got to get stuck in uh, to the Premier League football, but I, I don't think there's... Uh, anywhere else we can start but Sao Paulo, right? No, no. Well, the Stadio Diego Armando Maradona, the, the newly coined Napoli home ground, it was coined by some as the most important match or the biggest match of the Serie A season to date. The action on the field maybe didn't live up to the hype, but the result and the, the, the drama and everything else that came with it certainly did. AC Milan taking on Napoli. Milan coming away with a 1-0 win. Puts Milan back on top of the table it just seems like every week, Josh, we say it goes to another level, but teams are literally trading positions at the top. Inter were on top heading into the game after they beat Salernitana 5-0 on Saturday. But Milan coming out, Trump's 1-0 win. Olivier Giroud scoring, well, it was it was peak poachers finish. You know, Calabria with the shot in the right place at the right time and just threw his leg at it and diverted the ball past Davide Ospina. And it was enough to get Milan the win, enough to send them back to the top of the table. Milan's first clean sheet in Naples in 13 years as well. And Stefano Pioli's first ever win against Luciano Spalletti. So finally getting one up over Spalletti, but a big result for Milan. Napoli, though, they've lost a bit of ground at the top there. Though. It's mm. only three points, but it's a massive three points dropped. Yeah, so Milan sit in top spot now, 60 points. Inter have a game in hand and are two points behind on 58. And Napoli slipped to third on 57. Juve just quietly still <laughs> lurking, you know. Um, it worries me. It I, worries me. I don't think they're, you know, the Death Star anymore. I think this is the rebirth, the first order. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. Um, the difference is, well, actually, no, not the difference is. Let's just hope that this sequel series of Juventus sucks as much as the sequel series of Star Wars did. Um, but in terms of, you know, talking about Juventus, I think it's now about 13 or 14 games unbeaten in the league right now. So they're starting to come back. They had a one Just win. creeping up. Just yeah, they, like lurking below the radar. They hung on to a 1-0 win over Spezia this mm. morning. Like that was peak Juve Death Star sort of stuff this morning. But going back to Naples this morning, um, it was a game where it really could have changed early in the piece. We were debating off air about the penalty or the non-penalty decisions at either end. Victor Osserman brought to ground by Fakaya Tamori. Ismail Benacer at the other end brought down by Khalidou Koulibaly. Both weren't given. You're in the camp that Napoli should have had a penalty. Of course, this is me with mm. my Milan hat. And also without my Milan hat, I believe that the referee made the right decision. On both occasions? Yes. Mm. Actually, look... Now I think I think the Benacer one, look, I was mainly playing a bit of Mayo because I was like, ah, you're going to give that one. You're going to give it to Benacer as well. The Benacer one was right. I think the Osman one was right as well. All right. So let, let's go through both both incidents, shall we? Uh, Benacer, first of all, yes. uh, chronologically, I feel as if Koulibaly steps and then holds his ground. And it is, I mean, it's, it's a great there area. There is contact. There's obviously contact, but I don't feel as if as an attacker, you can just run straight into a defender and win a penalty. Mm. Koulibaly is pulling out of the challenge. I don't think there's anything realistically he can do. Yeah, uh, It's just thigh-on-thigh thigh contact. Benacer goes down. He's, they're always going to look for it, but I don't think it's a penalty because I don't think he stepped across his line. I yeah. think it's Benacer that's run into a brick wall, essentially. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, who else is a brick wall but Koulibaly? <laughs> uh, so I, I think he would have been very stiff. The reason I think the Osserman tackle is a penalty is because... Tamori comes from behind him, and if you stretch out and go for the ball, because he's clearly making a tackle, he's clearly making a tackle. If you stretch out and go for the ball and you get the man instead, 
that's a penalty kick, especially when you're coming from behind at that angle. So there's contact with the sort of mid-calf and there's contact with the foot as well. So I think in the era of VAR, with that angle, the the angle from, I guess, almost the other end of the pitch, the straight, straight on, you know, zoom telescopic lens that we've got, you can see there there's shin-to-calf contact pretty clearly. So I, I think Milan were very, very lucky in the era of slow-mo replays and VAR. If the, referees had this, if the referees had this angle available, I'm surprised we didn't get an on-field review. Well, all I'm saying is, Josh, it's about bloody time that a bad de- a decision like that goes in the favour of Milan because this season they have had a plethora of these decisions go against them, not just in the league but in the Champions League as well. You think back to that Atletico Madrid 2-1 loss when Kessie was sent off and... You know, there was the dodgy penalty call at the end. The last meeting when they played each other in Napoli won 1-0. Um, Milan had a, a ninety, like a 93rd minute equaliser rubbed off for offside when the player wasn't even offside. They had, We were talking about it last week with the Udinese goal where, you know, it was literally shoveled in with his hand and the, the game against Spezia with the non-call and the advantage. So, you know what? I see it as a bit of divine justice. The football gods smiling on Milan for a change. But just on Olivier Giroud, a, a shout-out to him because... Early in the game, he copped a nasty gash, nasty challenge to his ankle. Um, He was down for a few minutes, about two or three minutes receiving treatment. It was a real deep cut into his, you know, into his ankle Mm. there going right up. And what happened was, um, you know, he he had to play on because Zlatan Ibrahimovic was back on the bench. He was not fit to play more than about half an hour. The the commentators were saying, you know, who are they going to bring on? They're going to bring on Ante Rebic. Is Giroud going to play on? Giroud soldiered on. He looked so sore. But he stayed on, he got in the right area, and he scored. And then about 15 minutes later, he was off. Because, again, he copped another challenge. He had ice on his ankle. So shout-out to him. A real tough performance from him. But all around from Milan, um, just tenacious. Defensively, they were brilliant. Uh, Pierre Kalulu and Fakaya Tomori, that partnership in the heart of defense, really nullified the impact of Victor Ossiman. Pierre Kalulu this season has gone from strength to strength and has really become, in my opinion at least, the... The, the guy who's now earned that spot in the centre-back um, role with Simon Kier being out. Alessio Romagnoli is injured at the moment. He's out of contract, so that, you know, he, with him potentially yeah, on the way out. that's what I was going to say. I mean, does he stick around? Well, Kalulu has stepped up to take that position. Yeah, absolutely. And Kalulu is only 20, and there's word that Romagnoli is heading off to Lazio. So I would not be surprised if Kalulu is sort of, you know, the heir apparent, and that is his position going forward, even when Romagnoli comes back later this season. And it's eerily, eerily similar to last season when Tomori signed on loan from Chelsea and did exactly the same thing to Romagnoli. So... It will be an interesting, you know, sort of watch this space about that, but he's a guy to certainly keep your eye on. And also Ismail Benassess, superb in the middle of the park. His best game since he got COVID. Um, Ante Jukic said it as well in our own group chat, Josh. That was his best game since basically playing in that same fixture last season in Naples when he took over in the middle of the park. And it was good to see the Algerian Dynamo doing what he does best, and that's literally dominate the game and take it over. Um, so it was a all around a big performance for Milan. Now it's all about the run home. Ten games left, a lot on the line now. Both teams out of Europe. It's going to be a lot of fun to see how things transpire over the next two months. But again, for Napoli, big points dropped at home, um, and some concerns I think about the way they built up. Didn't really create a lot of good chances. I don't think. Um, you know, Ossiman had a couple half chances, but really, you know, Insigne wasn't able to get in the good areas. Same with Politano. Um, you know, they brought Elmas on who changed things slightly, but they just weren't able to get in those right areas. And, well, they suffered in the end, and Milan were able to hold and, and get the job done. Elmas, why did he not start? Is it an injury cloud? Was it a managerial decision? It was decision a, just, a, just a managerial Spalletti? decision. It was a strange one. It I, really was. Because he's been playing so well this year. Yeah. I, I don't really fathom why Spalletti would leave him out for such a big game. Yeah, and he was his first sort of – he was the first call up off the bench. He was brought on, I think, around the 65th minute or so, and um, he had a bit of an impact, but – him not starting was surprising. I think he went back with Zielinski. I'm not 110% sure who came in for him. But they had Chucky Lozano as well back on the bench. Um, you know, it just was – it was a poorly coached game, I think, from the Luciano Spalletti. Um, Napoli, obviously, you know, you would have thought after beating Lazio that had been riding high, gone in with all the momentum. But in this occasion, well, they fell short and Milan were there. Milan, we know, but Pioli's been able to galvanise his team for these big games. It's no surprise, really. Because we've seen Milan sort of being brought down to other teams' levels. We've seen it against Udinese and Salernitana. But then against the big teams, they've always seemed to rise for the occasion because Pioli is such a good man manager. Well, I mean, Elmas didn't start. 
uh, against uh, Lazio either. So, yeah. you know, he's been left out recently. I'm not sure that's quite the right call. He did start against Barcelona in the Europa League, but you know the way Italian teams tend to treat the Europa League, uh, that's not necessarily a good thing yeah. if you're yes. uh, if you're Elmas. Uh, but, I mean, it's clearly the midfield wasn't working for Napoli because if you look at the substitutions that Spalletti made, and we know you can make five, five changes now, he brought off his entire midfield five. Mm. Ruiz, Lobotka, Politano, Zielinski, Insigne off and Elmas, Lozano, Mertens, Unas and Onguisa on. So, like, that was clearly the area that yeah. wasn't working. He just couldn't work out how to fix it. And it worked because all that Pioli did was he really just clogged up the midfield. He By bringing mm. Kessie in for Brahim Diaz and going a flat three, That's it just played into Milan's favour by basically just, you know, putting the pressure on the likes of Fabian Ruiz and Laboca and basically saying, we'll try play through us. And, that, and it worked. Milan were able to play well off the break and it, and it suited them all game. Benacer, back to his best. You mentioned him yeah. earlier. Uh, he, he, it seemed like he had long COVID or he just wasn't contributing. He didn't seem to have just literal physical capacity to get through 90 minutes and seemed to be very sluggish off the mark when I was watching him. You know, first five metres, he was not getting to balls that he that he would previously. You know, that, that little burst and his, I guess, evasiveness under pressure is one of the best things to watch about him. So it's, it's really heartening to see him. Yeah play 90 minutes in a big game and be one of, if not the best player on the park. Absolutely. And also, um, as well, another shout-out to Teo Hernandez, who was brilliant again, mm. um, continues to put his hand up as one of the premier left-backs in the world right now. And Well, nearly had know, a fight with Victor Osman well, in he, his own penalty yeah, area well, while the ball was live. We know what Teo Hernandez is like. He <laughs> is a fiery character. Remember what happened in the derby? He got a red card for the sake of it, just because it was like stuff it. But he ended up getting a yellow card. He's suspended... Uh, for next weekend against Empoli. It's a big loss anytime Teo Hernandez is out. And this has been his problem ever since he signed for Milan. There's one flaw in his game is he's a hothead. And he's been suspended for so many big games throughout that period of time. And it's like, mate, can you please just calm down for once? Just keep it together, please. We need you, man. Like, we need you in every single game possible right now. So, um It'll probably been a chance for Alessandro Florenzi in the next game. But Milan got Zlatan back as well. He played two minutes off the bench where I could see him probably now playing for the rest of the season off the bench. Um, if Milan win the Scudetto, I genuinely think that this will be it for Zlatan. He said that he will not retire until Milan wins a trophy. And I think if they do end up winning the league, I think he will basically say that's it for me. Um, because, you know, Maldini sort of told him, look, you're one of the higher earners, but next year we can't justify paying you the money you're on. If you're going to come back at all, you're going to be earning a hell of a lot less. Um, you're going to have to take a bit part role because Milan are going all out for Andrea Bellotti mm. in the offseason. So it's Olivier Giroud's position now to lose. And if Giroud does miss, it probably will mean Ante Rebic is also ahead of him because Rebic was called up off the bench at around the 65th minute. And to be honest, we've seen when Rebic leads the line, Milan look a lot better in terms of how they're able to draw players and drag players and just his overall pressing. Yes, although I would say that Ibrahimovic is very useful in those moments late in games. Yes, holding up the ball and everything. When you can play it into him, he sort of drifts into one of the wide areas, drifts into space, and then he has two or three players running beyond him. And you saw with the uh, Salamaker's chance at the end, he blazed (laughs) over from, you know, that one-on-one. It was Ibrahimovic's through ball that was the... yeah. The pass before the assist, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think he still is useful in those scenarios. Uh, but with Giroud, it's it's interesting because beforehand, you know, I remember in previous shows you were saying it's probably Rebic who's the best option for the big games. Yeah. That seems to that equation seems to have changed completely based on yeah. form. I mean, we talked about him a lot after the Milan derby. Yeah. And his match winning performance there, and he's done it again. Yeah. Well, Giroud just seems to get himself in good areas because, to be honest, like well, that's his, his, overall, his overall game, yeah, his overall game, he didn't get much of the ball, and he didn't do much against in the Milan derby as well. He didn't touch much, didn't touch the ball much either. Um, you know, he probably would have been benched or, or taken off in the Milan derby, and again today if he didn't score that goal earlier because he only played on because it's like, all right, we just need to get you through to a certain bit so we can at least get Slatan on, but then you know they probably thought, well, Rebic can come on, he just run all day, go at players, you know, it's one nil. We can get someone like that with a bit of energy. But Pioli has gone against playing Rebic as a number nine recently. Mm. It seemed like he's wanted to play more out wide and sort of give Liao the early rest in a game when, you know, Milan's up and fixtures are being sort of starting to convolute. Like a lot of games, a lot of short turnarounds. Because Rebic, you know, in his eyes, he's a left winger. But in my opinion, or at least, I don't know if it's the most popular one, but I think his best football's done as a nine. Because out wide, he's, we know his delivery's not great. 
and he loves to cut in and just shoot. We see that every week with a certain player who plays for Melbourne City, who he's compared to a lot. But I think that, you know, Rebic playing as a nine just in terms of his pressing, in terms of how he just, you know, makes really smart runs. That, like, his work off the ball is fantastic. But when he gets the ball, that's his, that's what's been that's what's been letting him down from day one for Croatia, for Frankfurt, for Milan. So you're saying the bit of football that he struggles with is the actual football. Yes. Everything else is great. Yeah, but to be honest, <laughs> that, 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 that's the thing. I mean, like, he's a great player because of what he does with his physical capabilities. The guy can run all day. He's, you know, he's a strong player. He's an aggressive player. He can drag players out with his smart ball movement, but his delivery lets him down. The best part about what he can do when the ball's at his feet is the guy can score some crackers, but, you know, sometimes he's finishing inside the 18-yard box, lets him down completely. So he's that, he's that weird enigma that, you know, you could call mm. upon and you just don't know what you're going to get. He could get sent off after a minute. You know, we've seen it before. So it will be interesting now to see how Milan go forward from here because the next few games going into the international break are games Milan should win. But these have been the games that Milan tend to struggle in against Empoli and Cagliari. And then after the international break, things are going to get interesting again. Giroud is such an interesting one to me because he's almost made an entire career out of knowing when to be at the front post and when to be at the back post. Yeah. Largely the front post. It's that little channel just in front of this, the just that front side of the six-yard box yeah. that he's always getting into ahead of the defender. Um, I remember on second captains, they uh, they dubbed it La Rue Giroud, <laughs> like that little channel. Yeah. Giroud's, uh, Giroud Street uh, yeah. in French. Um, but he's also in some ways... Like uncommonly for a, a goal poacher, uh, quite a selfless player. He is, yeah. In his work off the ball, in his work as almost like a decoy player in the front line. Sometimes you don't notice everything that he does unless you examine well, it. I remember replay. a 2018 World Cup, it was sort of he was the, the, the selfless number nine that wasn't scoring but mm. was making all the runs to free up everybody else. I mean, you know, Mbappe and Griezmann really thrived playing alongside Giroud and um, he became the number nine in that period before Benzema came back. And now with Benzema back, he's obviously back to, you know, purgatory. But, you know, it's it's an interesting one because what we have seen as well with Milan is he we've seen parts of that. I think early in the season, we didn't see a lot of it as much because he was carrying a couple injuries. But recently, once he's gotten over these injuries, he's looked really dangerous. And players like Rafael Liao, Rafael Liao's best patch has come with Giroud in the starting lineup. And it's no surprise, you know, Liao just thrives on those open spaces because Giroud's able to drag defenders. Um, Junior Messias is able to do exactly the same thing as well on the right-hand side. So it, it, it is an interesting one. But um, Giroud, I'll tell you what, look, um, he, he's, he's won that spot as the number nine, I think, for the rest of the season. Um, he's surprised me with how, many, with how well he's played over this period because I didn't think, honestly, I, by around the midway point of the season, I was a bit worried about his overall output. He was getting injured a lot, but he's really done well in the second half of the season and could prove very much pivotal in the next 10 games. I was trying to remember the name of the uh, the France striker from 1998 that he sort of reminds me of. Uh, the sort of selfless decoy target man That's up front. That's Thierry Henry, yeah. Uh, it was uh, Stéphane uh, Givache is the, is the player. Yeah. His name temporarily escaped me. It's a long time ago. Yes, it was <laughs> but, 1998. It was, what, 24 years ago? But uh, he, they sort of had a similar, uh, similar role uh, 20 years apart. A nice symmetry there. Yeah. But uh, at the risk of this becoming the, the Milan show, shall we cover some of the other yeah, Serie A stuff Let's the jump break? into it. I mean, the big result as well from this weekend was Roma beating Atalanta 1-0. Roma have been in some really good form over the past couple of weeks. Uh, I think that's now six games in a row without a loss. Um, that's a massive result against Atalanta, by the way. Um, so, yeah, this is tasty late, that yeah, one. Yeah, so this is one, two, three, four, five, seven straight games without a loss in the league. So Mourinho is finally getting something working. It seems like he's found um, the right setup for this team. There was time where he was tinkering and it wasn't quite working, but going now to a three at the back and going with a three, four, two, one with Zaniolo and Mkhitaryan as the two tens has actually worked quite well for them. And Tammy Abraham started to find his feet again up front after a bit of a lean patch in the midway point of the season. But that's a big win for them. Atalanta, on the other hand, look, they had a lot of players out for this one. Um, they started Mario Pasalic as a false nine. He got dragged at halftime for uh, Luis Muriel. But you know what? Some big results to keep Roma right in the hunt for the top four. They're only six points behind Juve. And it's a great turnaround because things were looking a little bit testy for them uh, at, at one point. So you know what? Kudos to Mourinho and kudos to Roma for turning it around. Uh, Martin Derone completely lost his rag oh, yes. in the 95th minute. Yeah. He managed to get himself sent off. Were both the yellow cards for descent? I think one of them was for the tackle. And, and then, then he that just, was descent, yeah. He, just, he ran it. his mouth off for so long. The referee yeah. almost like 
couldn't couldn't ignore yeah. it. And then a minute later, Mikatarian, where the cynical it sends off, yeah, cynical foul gets his second yellow card. So it, it all blew up later on. It's, it tends to be a little bit more tense with Mourinho around somehow. Well, Mourinho somehow it always co- kicks off. Mourinho wasn't even on the touchline. He's still serving a suspension for <laughs> kicking the ball into the stands. It was Michele Salarotz. Trying to get this one correct. Uh, Michele Salzarulo, who was actually the manager for the day. and I think the influence is it's rubbing still off there. on the team, it's, though. It's, it's, a, it's a hovering sort of, you know, just it lingers. You know, they know he's watching at home. He's probably just screaming at the TV. Um, or to be honest, as he did against, I think it was against Venezia, he watched it from outside the stadium in a little van and he had a few assistants with him and he had like his laptop open. It's just peak Jose. So is this is this a suspension for the uh, telephone gesture? The telephone gesture and kicking the ball into the stands <laughs> in the same game. So, you know, that, that that's Jose. And look, he's done, look, Roma's done a good job at turning things around. Atalanta, on the other hand, look, it's been a bit of a lean run for them. Only one win in their last five. Um, they're now tie on points with, mm. with Roma. They're in danger of missing the Champions League altogether now. Um, Juventus have built a six-point gap on them. Look, Atalanta do have a game in hand, but there are some concerns with the injuries at the moment. And start look, Mario Pasolic starting as a number nine. I don't know what, you know, Gus Bredini was thinking with that one. Um, you know, he had the likes of Muriel, Malinovsky, and Jeremy Bogger on the bench. None of them started. He went for the likes of Miranchuk, Pessina out wide, which again, baffling decision. So again, you know, as much as we love to talk about how good and how masterful Gus Bredini is, he sometimes makes some really strange decisions on the selection sheet. And again, he got it all wrong against Roma on the weekend. Yeah, it's curious that he didn't go with Muriel. Um, I, I guess he's not having as good a season as he did last last year, yeah. which was a, a real renaissance for him. Uh, but talking of strikers who are actually in form, Tammy Abraham oh, yeah. with his 13th goal of the season. He's the fifth top scorer in Serie A. Mm. Seems as if uh, Serie A imported don't some start. Premier League quality this season. Don't start, Giroud, Josh. Abraham, you just can't, can't get enough of these uh, Premier League Kaya strikers. Tamori, hey, we, we're, we're helping out the English national team at the moment. They've just got to get the job done. So, I mean, Fakaya Tomori probably should be starting for England and Tammy Abraham certainly putting a good enough case to at least be in the squad behind maybe Harry Kane. I think he's probably the most informed English striker. If anyone else comes to mind, don't don't sue me. Um, but seriously, I think that he's genuinely having a great run. He went through a lean patch in the middle of the season after starting really well, but he's starting to find his traps again. And I think he has forged a nice little partnership with Nicolò Zaniolo and Henrik Mkhitaryan. And for those Aussie, Aussies abroad uh, listeners out there who are very curious to know, unfortunately, Christian Volpato was dropped from the entire squad for the game. Um, with Mkhitaryan suspended, he probably will get himself back on the bench. Um, but don't get you know don't get your hopes up about him starting. It will mm. probably mean someone like Felix Fenejan or Stefan El Sharawi or Aldo Shmoradov is ahead of him. But um, yeah, so very curious. I'm not going to go down the long run up about uh, that because we, I I have to. I have been told to temper it. I've been told I have I to. I think the last down. thing we need is more Christian Volpato yeah, content it, from Nick Dubano. In terms, <laughs> in terms of other games this week, as we mentioned, into five, Salernitana nil. Lautaro Martinez back in form. I think scoring a hat trick in that game. Um, as well, we saw Lazio with a win too. And as mentioned, Juventus 1-0 against Spezia. So some big results there. It's going to get testy over the next few weeks, Josh. We always say, look, and, you know, the City Arc continues to find ways to excite. But these next 10 weeks, as we get in towards the end of May, it's only going to get more exciting because I don't think this title race is over by any stretch. I get a feeling we're going to see a lot more chopping and changing at the top over the next few weeks. One more observation before we go to a yep. break. Uh, I was just looking at the goal-scoring charts to check where Tabra, Ta- Tammy Abraham or Abraham Did you is. say Teo Abraham? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, was, I did the same thing as Mourinho did when he was uh, on TV a few years ago. He said, if Abraham is, is the starter, it's not a serious season for Chelsea. Uh, and then ended up signing him. Yes. So, uh, but uh, Chiro Mobile and Dusan Vlaovic on top. Uh, Lataro Martinez fourth, Tammy Abraham fifth. But in third spot on the goal scorers charts with 15 goals is Giov- Giovanni Simeone. He's had a fantastic season. Yeah, he's had a great season. Hellas Verona have been a very fun team this year. They have, I think, the third best home record in the league this year. So they've not been an easy team to beat. Uh, they drew this morning against Fiorentina. But he has been. He has had one hell of a career renaissance because he started his career. He was in some blistering form. He had a, bat, a few lean seasons and he's gone to Hellas Verona and he's completely turned his career around. Who, who swoops for him in the transfer market? I'm sure well, he's going to get signed this offseason. Josh, they're, they're not, we've spoken about number nines and good number nines are at the premium right now. And I do think there will be teams that look at him. 
If I'm thinking Serie A, I think that, you know, the two teams that come to mind straight away is Milan and Inter, depending, especially with Inter with Lautaro Martinez. But I wouldn't be surprised if there are some Premier League teams maybe sniffing around. We know Alexander Lacazette's out of contract at Arsenal, whether they sign, you know, potentially Simeone is a replacement if Lacazette doesn't get a new deal. Does Very it end different up, style of player. Maybe ends up at Chelsea. Who knows? Like, there, there are going to be openings. And I wouldn't even be surprised if there's some mid-table Premier League team or a relegation fodder by the name of Newcastle that might even go, you know, let's throw the kitty at him. Because he will, he will get interest. He's, he's still on a good loan from Cagliari. Well. Yeah. So it's not going to be Verona who gets the, the paycheck. And maybe Hellas Verona. Maybe he will just want to end up there. I don't know. I, I think these players, you know, as we were talking about with Vlaovic, they tend to stay in Serie A unless yeah. they start getting the real name recognition outside of Italy. Um, I can see him following his, his father's footsteps and going to Inter. Going to Inter? Well, maybe. If they I, have the money. It, it, it depends. It depends especially and, you know, on... Say they cash in on Lautaro Martinez. Lautaro Martinez this off-season. They look for a replacement within Italy. I think Simeone would be a yeah, sensational option. Absolutely. And look, he's right back. I believe he's sort of on the periphery of the Argentinian national team again. There is an opening now of Aguero retiring and you know Messi sort of being on the outer. Um, I believe they announced a squad... Re- like about two hours ago. I haven't had a chance to look at it just yet. He might uh, he might have actually been selected for that because right now they're, they've basically, they've qualified for the World Cup. So they've got a chance to actually experiment, hence why they picked a bunch of 17-year-olds. Um, so, you know, that might have been a chance for Simeone. And I think, you know, going into the World Cup, this is a really important time for him. Because if he keeps scoring, there's every reason to suspect that he might get selected for, for Qatar. He is in the extended squad, uh, the preliminary squad for the games against Ecuador and, and uh, Colombia, but they've already qualified. Yeah, so, so there's a chance for him. Opportunity to uh, to experiment a little bit. You know, there are a lot of players in there who wouldn't usually get a look in, um, including Alejandro Garnacho, who is a 17-year-old Manchester United youth yes. team player. So, you know, they're, they're, they're casting the net far and wide. There's some names on here that I've literally never heard before. Uh, there's players from Argentina, like local players like um, Julian Alvarez, who is very highly rated, to be to be fair. So, yeah, they've, they've cast their net very wide in this squad. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Gio Simeone make the, make the final cut, at least for these last two qualifiers that there's not much riding on. I'd like to see him get a crack because I think that he can put himself right in the frame. Potentially for Qatar, it's going to be a big end to the season for him and then as well the early part of next season before the World Cup. But, Josh, let's take a quick break. Premier League discussion after this. We'll talk a bit of La Liga and Bundesliga as well and also cast our net to next weekend. More big games coming around the corner. So don't go anywhere here on the Euro Show. Sometimes I feel... I don't know. I don't know. Buona giornata. Buona serata. Buona giornata. There's not really time to relax and take an espresso for Juventus. <laughs> you don't have to get that You don't have to get that Attaccare! Welcome back to the Euro Show here on FNR Football Nation Radio. We dived into all things Serie A before the break. If you miss any of it, make sure you head over to our, our podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, catch up on it a little bit later. We'll say hello to us here on the stream if you're watching along on Facebook, YouTube or Twitch. Um, you know, we've, we've dived into all the stuff Serie A, but we've got to head, cast our net far and wide, just like Argentina are doing for the next lot of World Cup qualifiers. We're going to head to the Premier League. We don't usually touch too much on the forbidden English Premier League because tec- technically they're not in Europe anymore. No. There they're was a, there the a certain Brexit referendum again. you might have heard about. Yes, it's called Brexit. And uh, we'll touch on the Prem because there were some big results. We can't forget about it. Um, let's start off at Vicarage Road. I know the Manchester derby has been dominating the headlines, but... Our producer, Pakur Frimpong, is fired up about it. Reminded us that Arsenal are gunning for the top four. A 3-2 win over Watford, including a Mikel Arteta assist for the third goal. Yes, you heard me correctly. It was a quick throw in that Arteta quickly shoveled the ball back into play. And Arsenal were able to come away with a 3-2 win. Another massive three points for them. And from the start of the season, when they lost those first two games, and we were all, you know, doom and gloom, Arsenal have finished. They have turned a corner over the last few months. And uh, we've got to give credit to Mikel Arteta. I feel like, you know, what he has done with this team, with the signings he made after that game, getting players back, this Arsenal team is fit. They're firing on all cylinders. And right now, I think they're odds on favourite out of that little pack of teams that car crash at the moment between Manchester United, West Ham and Tottenham as well. That they're gonna, They might emerge and they're probably going to finish in the Champions League. 
I'm I'm just stunned uh, that this third goal was allowed. I mean, uh, Arteta way outside his technical area. <laughs> you know, you, you know, you're not a ball boy, mate. There's a little dotted line that you're supposed to stay inside. That's 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 your your bit. And uh, he's maybe double the length of <laughs> yeah. his own technical area down the touchline. Uh, so you know, he's uh, I think gained he's an unfair the advantage there. He should he's be booked. Bent the rules, yes. You know, um, no, Arsenal are, are flying at the moment and. Uh, you know, I don't know how much of it is down to Arteta really changing his approach. I think it's just down to this group of players learning and developing and getting more used to each other and used to the style of play. Martinelli is a player that Jurgen Klopp always froths about every time, you know, Arsenal like trot him out in like an FFA Cup. Oh, sorry, FA Cup, I should say. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, Carabao Josh. Cup game. He's like, oh, yeah. wow, this guy is going to be one of the best. Um, and he's he's showing it. Um, he's he's had a lot of injury problems, but it's great to to see him finally fulfilling uh, his much vaunted potential. Uh, Odegaard is a player that I think his career trajectory harks back to some of the player signs within the Wenger years. Because mm. you think about these guys like Henri and Burkamp and Vieira, who were signed from very big clubs, super clubs even on the continent that weren't playing them they were they had, their career had stalled yeah you know they they weren't making the progress they weren't getting in the team and uh, they weren't performing and arsenal saw potential in those players Wenger saw potential in those players and and brought them on board and you know you think about Henri playing as a left winger at Juventus and then reinventing himself um Burkamp I think was at Inter if yes, I remember he was, correctly. He was, yep. Vieira spent time at Milan before he went to Arsenal as yeah. well. So it, all from Serie A, actually. Yeah. This, in this case, it's Real Madrid and Spain. Yeah. Um, but it seems that, like they've actually got a steal for, for yeah. Odegaard. Um, I, I, I've really delighted in watching him. He's a player who I think had to get used to being in the public eye. Just from a very a, young age. You know, that, that's got to be quite traumatic and damaging, the way that the media were... Like hounding well, him you constantly. Remember he was in that bracket with um, Alan Halilovic and also Hashim Mastor. Now that's a name that we haven't heard in a long time. The old Moroccan wonder kid from AC Milan that was 15, and everyone was going, "This guy is going to be a star." They they were the three, and Martin Odegaard's really the only one that has kicked on. I believe Halilovic is now playing for Birmingham in the Championship, and again he also went to Milan too. But Martin Odegaard thriving as that number ten whether it's been alongside Emil Smith-Rowe, whether it's been sort of just getting free reign by having two destroyers behind him in Thomas Party and Granit Xhaka, it's worked wonders for him. We saw early in the year, you know, Arteta was trying to use him almost as a second striker alongside Aubameyang, and that was, he was just being hung out to dry there. But in this role, he's able to cook. He works well with Bakaya Saka and Martinelli, who I think the way they play, playing on sort of their opposite foot, you know, Saka playing on his right and cutting on his left and Martinelli vice versa. It works really well for him. And Alexander Lacazette is having some career renaissance over the last few months. Out of contract, two assists again yesterday. Um, he's going to be hot property, I think, in this offseason, whether it is you know in the Premier League. We know he's on big money. But he's someone that a lot of teams could look at because we talk about number nines. He's someone who could potentially move on a free transfer if Arsenal don't snap him up. So this is going to be an interesting watch. But Odegaard, I'll tell you what, he's one hell of a player and it's great to see him starting to live up to that potential. Pakua, our producer, correctly pointing out that uh, Dennis Burkamp was not a Arsene Wenger signing. No. He was the first signing of Bruce Rioche, who only lasted wow. a year. Uh, so uh, cheers, Bruce. Uh, smashed <laughs> the club's transfer record as well, yeah. £7.5 million, <laughs> which was three times their previous transfer record in, uh, in 1995. How times have changed. Yes, uh, we've seen a fair bit of inflation in football oh, transfer. Yes, you reckon. Since um, so Arsenal at the moment, as Pakura as well correctly pointed out, they've actually got a game in hand on Chelsea and they're five points behind them. And they've got two games in hand on Liverpool who are 15 points ahead of them. So I don't think they're going to be catching Liverpool or City. But there's a chance they could still finish third because Chelsea aren't necessarily, you know, dominating by any stretch. They've won their last couple of games, but they've had their own problems. But this is going to be an interesting watch to see whether Arsenal can lock in that fourth spot because there was a period where people used to, you know, say, oh, Arsene Wenger only gets them to fourth and it seems like they're back to that ceiling. But I think Arsenal fans right now would not be complaining just getting back into the Champions League, but let alone Europe after the season they had last year and the start of the season they had this season. It's been a great turnaround from them. Would you dare say that uh, fourth is a trophy? 
Uh, as Arsene Wenger was criticised for saying many a time. I mean, saying yes. She's the Arsenal fan here. I mean, I think She's... expectations have been shrunk and adjusted yeah. since the we want Wenger out yeah, uh, Arsenal fan TV years. Absolutely. Look, I think fourth place for Arsenal this season is a massive tick. I think it's a massive tick considering the spending of Manchester United, the spending of Tottenham, bringing in, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo at Manchester United and all the big signings they made and bringing yeah, in as if that's helped. And, and Jaden Sancho. Well, yes, it's had an adverse effect instead. And Tottenham bringing in Antonio Conte, which hasn't worked out as well. Arsenal shone. Like, mm. this is the, the, dare I say it, has the rebuild started to bear fruit? Mm. Is Are things moving in the right direction? Maybe next season we might see them take a step to third. Who knows? Dare, I mean, dare we dream. Look, I think the gap from Man City and Liverpool to the rest at the moment is quite large. I think Chelsea, I mean, they're thereabouts, but I still think, still think they're lacking a number nine. But and they've got a lot that, of uh, question marks over the ownership situation absolutely. as well, which is going to impact them. Well, Arsenal, they're not necessarily you know in the clear with their ownership sort of stuff with Stan Kroenke, depending if he's going to be spending money and investing in the club. I mean, they made some great signings this offseason when they brought in the likes of Ben White. And uh, Tommy Yasu as well, who is quietly the uh, best defender in Asia, I think. Um, they've they've done quite well. And you know what? From where Mikel Arteta was after that famous loss that the Eddie had at the start of the year to now, I'm very happy for him. I, I, I can't help but just be happy for him to see him actually doing well. And I really hope that this Arsenal team can make top four. Because you look, you know what? In football and in sport, we're a sucker for a good story. And I think it would be a great story seeing Arsenal make it. But what does this say about Manchester United if they don't make it, Josh? I mean, they got spanked this morning, 4-1. They were never in it. Uh, I mean, they got back in the game with that Jaden Sancho equaliser, but Man City were streets mm. better than them. Uh, the gap between the two Manchester clubs couldn't be more apparent at the moment. Um, I know that, you know, some United nuffs would point to, oh, no, Cristiano Ronaldo, of course, it was going to be hard. Not really. I mean, what does Ronaldo contribute in a game what, what, like What's this? he going to do in that game? I mean, Pep Guardiola made, I think it was a point about, you know, oh, we were easy to play. Uh, Manchester United pressed more in this game and left themselves more open because Cristiano Ronaldo didn't play. What do you think, Pep? Do you think that's a surprise? I mean, this team at the moment, still going with the McFred combination in midfield, Josh, it's baffling what's going on out there. Nothing seems like it's really changed under Ralph Rangnick. Well, nothing has because the squad hasn't changed. Mm. You know, he's still working with the same group of players. He's still working with the same limitations. Um, you know, I don't think Rangnick has done anything much different to what Solskjaer was doing. No. You know, you could argue that when he came in, the defence tightened up a bit, but that certainly wasn't on display in the derby. Um, does it, he can't magic up a better central midfielder. No. You know, like... But- but they had January. They had January. And yeah. they got rid of one of their better central midfields in Donny van der Beek. Yeah. Um, that, that, so, so that makes no sense. No, it, it doesn't make a shred of sense. Um, but the, the squad hasn't improved. Um, so I don't see how we expected the performances mm. to. I mean, Jaden Sancho's goal was lovely. Absolutely. Uh, he's starting to contribute more and play better. Good, yeah. um, Alanga has been a decent find from the youth ranks. And Rania keeps using Alanga as the, the example for other players to emulate. <laughs> Uh, so maybe he's a good trainer or a hard worker, but I've, I've been pretty impressed with him and it's nice to see a young player come through the youth system. Uh, but you know, they've still got the same limitations as, as they always had with the midfield, not being able to, uh, face forwards and play through the lines whatsoever. Fred being incredibly mistake prone, McTominay being one of those football challenged footballers who, uh, you know, is a absolute tank and has a, an engine on him, but, seems to have to engage like both sides of his brain and every shred of technical ability that he has just to play like a five-yard sideways pass and telegraphs the hell out of it. Yeah. Like It's painful to watch, to be honest. There's a reason why he plays as a centre-back for the Scottish yeah. national team half the time. I, I And, yeah, they, they, they've got terrible problems in midfield. Maguire is obviously... i got to ask, Josh. ...has the turning circle of a semi-trailer. What's the go with Harry Maguire? Because there is talk that... <laughs> people inside the own camp that are baffled that he's still getting starts at the moment. His own players that are saying, you know, when's the buck going to drop and we're going to eventually drop Who's going to play buck? instead of him? Ferran's injured. <sighs> Eric Bailly, his body either explodes or he makes some yeah, like, I know. baffling just, decision. Harry Maguire is turning into You're going to play Phil Jones? Hey, he played that one game <laughs> and he was all right. <laughs> Dare I say it? There are so but the maybe. expectations nah, for no. Phil Jones at this point are so low. low. Could the, could could it be any worse? Because look, Harry Maguire, in my opinion, 
Harry Maguire, like, he's not in the best, in England's best team right now. By far, there are better English centre-backs that are informed than him. You know, Fakaya Tamori and John Stones as the par- partnership going forward. You can think of plenty more. And I just think right now, Harry Maguire is turning into a massive liability against these really nimble front lines. And we saw it again today. You know, what, what City do, not playing a number nine and playing all these tens and quick players, they run rings around Harry Maguire. Mm. And we've seen it, you know, since day one, since he arrived at Old Trafford. Yeah, I, I think there's an aspect of this that is down to the lack of protection he's offered by the midfield. You know, Fred and McTominay run around like headless chooks, but their positioning is atrocious. Yeah. And they don't offer him any protection. Whereas you look at his performances during the Euros and he had Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips playing in front of him and they were shielding the back line. So what you're telling me is Manchester United should sign Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips? Well, <laughs> not both of them. Um, maybe one of those players would, would do nicely. I mean, you've seen how Leeds have struggled without Calvin Phillips this season. He's been injured for most of it and has barely played and they sunk like a stone and Bielsa's been sacked. So you mm. see how important he is. Rice, I think, would be another overpriced signing. You know, like the hype around him is off oh, the chain. You know, you know that if a certain someone that lives out in the country heard that line, Josh, about him being overpriced and overhyped. I mean, but uh, how much are you going to gonna have to pay for this guy? Like eighty million, a hundred million? I think they're going to want more than a hundred for him. Uh, they yeah, think he's the messiah. There, West Ham fans saying, "Oh, he's the best midfielder in the league." Yeah, but he's he's a better defensive midfielder in terms of his positioning and the way he protects the defence than either Fred or McTominay. Yeah, I, think that, I don't think that's controversial but to that's, say. But that's all Declan Rice is, I'm being brutally honest here. That's his MO. That, that's his MO, yeah. The, like, and covering ground. Like, yeah. But in really open ding-dong end-to-end games. Is he, he going to be a transformative player for Manchester United? Well, he'd, be better, he'd, be, better, he'd be better than nothing. Yeah. He'd be better than what they've got now. They sorely needed a number six uh, in the uh, in the off-season, and they went out and got Ronaldo instead. So that shows what the priorities of the club are and how much football knowledge they actually have Social media in the departments. Metrics, yeah, I mean, they, I, I, just, I just can't fathom the, the decision-making at that club. It's, it's just crazy. So we've known this for a long time. Uh, the Manchester derby was a particularly humiliating depiction of the, the differences in, in decision-making and recruitment between the two clubs. Uh, you know, if Manchester United had Rodri, for example, different different kettle of fish, they could compete. Mm. But they don't. Yeah, uh, no, they don't. City had, I think, at one five-minute passage of play, 90, F- 97%, 97% yeah. of the ball. And they end up with 70 overall, which is insane. And we know that in, you know, the world of football, I've seen so many times that a lot of teams that have more of the ball don't even end up winning games. We've seen it so many times teams just thrive off the counter. United barely did that. They fired five shots on goal to 24, an XG of 0.99 to 2.53. Uh, City just peppered the goals. They they almost scored one of the goals of the season from Cancelo with that bicycle. But big uh, problems. Scissor. I'd call it a scissor. scissor. Okay, okay. So Manchester United next have Tottenham, which next Sunday is going to be a very interesting case study between two struggling teams. Um, but, you know, it's at Old Trafford, and I really wouldn't be surprised if we just see a classic, you know, Grinta, Manchester, Manchester United win, grunting it out, getting a win, the faithful at the Stratford end getting up and about or something like that. Because it's just peak Manchester United, backs against the wall, come up against a team like that and win. So I think this is going to be an interesting run home for them. But in terms of the race for those spots, um, West Ham, they dropped points against Liverpool 1-0 on the weekend, quite, quite expected. West Ham starting to regress a little bit back to the mean after their good start to the season. Are we going to um, talk about Abramovich? We can, I was just about to get to Chelsea. Okay. Um, but we can get to Chelsea now. All right. All right. So Chelsea, 4-0 winners against Burnley, but that wasn't the big news of the week. Roman Abramovich is selling Chelsea, I believe. Mm-hmm. He's put it up for um, sale anyway. He's put it up for sale. Um, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong here, Josh, but a portion of that is going to the Ukrainian fund or something about to do with, you know, Refugees. I, I think it's something along those lines. Yeah. So his statement, I felt, was very vague yeah. on this front. Um, I, I don't think we've had enough detail to commend or admonish him. Mm. Um, I, I'll, I'll find a statement and, yeah. and, and read it. So it looks like that, you know, Roman's going to sell Chelsea, which is quite a big thing because, I mean, how long has he been in charge now? About I'm just, 20 years? I'm just going to read the statement. So 20 years in charge. I think the wording here is very interesting. Yep. 
I would like to address the speculation in media over the past few days in relation to my ownership of Chelsea FC. After I read that, I was not expecting to read, I'm selling the club. I was expecting to read, I love it, I'm staying here forever. I'm, I'm not effing leaving. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street style. As I've stated before, I've always taken decisions with the club's best interest at heart. Hmm, questionable. In the current situation, I have therefore taken the decision to sell the club as I believe this is in the best interest of the club, the fans, the employees, as well as the club's sponsors and partners. I mean, this is really code for I need to sell the team before my assets are stolen and taken from me by the British government. The sale of the club will not be fast-tracked but will follow due process. Well, clearly it is being fast-tracked. That's the entire point of putting it on the market now because there are so many um, you know, parliamentarians uh, getting angry about the fact that they haven't sanctioned him. I will not be asking for any loans to be repaid. Now, that is very interesting Mm. because over the years he has not funded but loaned Chelsea in owner financing about £2 billion. That is a lot of cash. That is a lot of cash. Yeah. Well, it's a huge amount of money anyway. If I got the figure wrong, you know, don't Let's just be vague. He's owed a lot of money. There (laughs) is a huge amount of money that he has loaned to the club in interest for him. I will not be asking for any loans to be repaid. That is very interesting. I don't know if that means that he won't take, you know, that money out of the sale price, but he's not asking the club to repay it anyway. This has never been about a business nor money for me, but about pure passion for the game and club. Uh, I'm not sure if we've ever quite gotten to the bottom of what Abramovich's motivation for owning Chelsea really is because he's not an owner who's liked the limelight. No. But he's also been very visible without saying almost he's, anything. He's like, he's like the silent party, but he's always there. He's always period, on he was, camera, but he, he was, never speaks. Because for like probably about, what, about 15 years, in his first 15 years, he was at every game and then he went, then then he disappeared. Then he went anonymous for a while because of all the, the sanctions. But, I mean... You know, he was always there and he was always sticking his two fingers in the pie of everything Chelsea was doing when it came to transfer business as well. Very hands-on approach at one point. Yeah. Moreover, I have instructed my team to set up a charitable foundation where all net proceeds from the sale will be donated. Net proceeds. That, that's key, key wording there. Mm. The foundation will be for the benefit of all, of the, all victims of the war in Ukraine. So that doesn't say necessarily whether they're Ukrainian victims or... Refugees, or indeed injured Russian soldiers. That could yeah. be any. That could injured be injured Russian soldiers. You know, families in Russia. Yeah, it could, could be. Yeah, yeah but th- 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 we don't know what that means. Uh, this includes providing critical funds toward the urgent and immediate needs of the victims, as well as supporting the long-term work of recovery. Okay, fine. Um, and then there's some uh, emotional fluff about how much it means to him and how sad he is. Uh, so. Like, clearly, he has enjoyed some aspects of owning Chelsea. Like, this has been a rich man's play thing. You know, he's, uh, in the early years, been very hands-on, hired and fired managers, wanted the club to play beautiful football and win the Champions League. Hasn't always seen those two goals match up. Um, you well, know, the one they won the Champions employed... League, they played it by pure, you know, <laughs> just, just yuck football, but it yeah, worked. <laughs> it did work. And then he sacked that coach, you know, the next season. Um, and in more recent seasons, he's you know, had to leave the UK yeah, for legal reasons. Mm. He's become a citizen of Portugal. Yeah, He's put the club in the hands of Grun of Sky and Czech or the football decisions anyway. Uh, so I, I haven't quite got my head around what he gets out of or what he has gained out of owning Chelsea. I, I guess, you know, when you think of Russia and you think of who is a notable Russian, Bramovich now comes to mind. He's become very famous from owning Chelsea uh, He's the most famous of the oligarchs. I, I guess there yeah. is a um, yeah. If you if, yeah. if you're if you're asked to name a Russian oligarch, it's he's Roman the, Abramovich he's yeah. straight yeah. to the top of your head. So I imagine that's given him some advantages in his business dealings and personal life. Um, but also, uh, he's obviously very well loved by the fans and the players from the club because he's bankrolled their success over the years. But. This net proceeds thing is really interesting because he's made a huge loss on Chelsea. And if this quick quick fire sale, this fire sale goes through, then he's probably going to make a loss. Yeah, because if, think about it. It's going to be to the first and the, the first bidder probably. Like whoever can offer the most, that's at an amount. And, and it know, depends like, on whether he subtracts the, the, the owner financing from the sale or not. But I'm not sure if we're going to end up with any net proceeds. It might be a net negative. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't think... I'm, I'm still very cynical about this, as you can tell. And I, I I do think this is not necessarily in the club's best interest, but in his, because why else would he be selling it? Yeah. That's absolutely. the only reason is so he can cash in before 
uh, his assets are seized or frozen, frozen yeah. which is a uh, which is something that um, many many MPs, happen, yeah. many Labor MPs particularly, uh, have been vocal about. And the Tory government, who we know has taken a lot of money from Russia and Russians and Russian businesses in the past, um, seems to be stalling while all these people basically pack the furs and the and the, the jewels in in their bags and you know head off to the Maldives. Yeah. I mean think about it like this way. Like if this club was seaworthy, it'd be in the Maldives yeah, already. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look <laughs> if you if you could get this club on a boat, boat and take and it mate, somewhere. Take it to the Maldives Premier League. <laughs> sure. Into a non extradition paradise maybe they could just tropical play on, country. Maybe just play them on a cruise every week. They just <laughs> play their games in not on international waters. Basically just put them in the middle of the Indian Ocean Fly teams in on how it'd be like um the old Nike ad, you know, like the <laughs> Nike ad they played the um the foot the in the, the futsal tournament on the on the airplane carrier. It would be like that. Oh jeez, but yes. Anyways, um, Josh, before we go, we've only got a couple of minutes left. Just a quick skim over the rest of the results this week. We don't want to end it on too much of a depressing note. Um, obviously, all that's been happening in Russia and the Ukraine a lot has changed in terms of the football side of things since last Monday. Russia's been kicked out, all their clubs from European competitions. The national team have been kicked out as well from the European qualifiers, mm. the World Cup qualifiers in a couple of weeks' time. Um, I'm not sure if there's really been an update as to how things will work now in that sort of phase of qualifying, but we'll keep an eye on it over the next little bit. I think FIFA is hoping that there's immediate ceasefire so they can reinstate them. Yeah, I mean, which probably, is not yeah. happening. No, it's not going to happen anytime soon. Uh, in in Germany this weekend, uh, some pretty big results. Bayern Munich dropping points, a one-all draw against Bayer Leverkusen. Um, that's obviously had opened up the door for Borussia Dortmund, and I don't believe off first games Dortmund even played this weekend. So, uh, so Dortmund didn't even get the chance to make up any ground at that point in time. Um, Actually, just double-checking that. Yeah, no, they didn't play this weekend. So mm-hmm. so it opens up the door slightly. They're nine points ahead. Dortmund have a game in hand, so it will be interesting to see what happens, whether they can close that gap. I, I just don't have any faith in this Dortmund no, team. No, neither. To, like, to make that next step. We you know, spoke... Yeah, well, we just moving on quickly, Josh, because we do... Okay, we've got to wrap. wrap. Yep, in La Liga as well, uh, severe dropping points, a nil draw with Deportivo Alaves, meaning Madrid were able to capitalise and build their gap on top of the league with a 4-1 win over Real Sociedad. Remember when Real Sociedad were a title contender? Yes, that was was nice. Well, they're sixth now. They're still in the hunt for potentially European football, at least. They're four points off Atleti, who won again on the weekend, a 3-1 win over Real Betis. That's a big result for them. Joao Felix scoring a double. And good on Joao Felix actually taking his opportunities because he's not had many of them this season. He's sort of been frozen Mm. out. But um, good to see him come on and score it. Well, not come on, start, score a double and put them back inside the top four. Real Betis dropping out as a, as a result. Jao Felix, baller, Atletico Madrid need to build around him. Um, you know, I, I think Simeone's hesitance to, to play him uh, belies his, his preferences as yeah. a manager, uh, but he needs to embrace the tools that he has at his disposal. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they've, they've got Champions League. Uh, well, that, they, they don't, they're not playing this week, but we've got Champions League coming up. Uh, I think Atletico uh, have put themselves in the box seat now. I think their, their squad is good enough. Yep. And Real Betis, as entertaining as they are, they tend to yep. disappoint you when it counts. Absolutely. You know, they're, they're a team that is... They're so much fun, though. They're, very, they're, they're a lot of fun, but... I I think their defending is a little too chaotic to uh, to really hope for for Champions League qualification realistically. Absolutely, and one of those teams that has sort of capitalised on this period is Barcelona, coming back from a goal down and beating Elche two one. Ferran Torres and Memphis Depay hitting the score sheet. And looking ahead to this week, if you want to keep your eye on some big fixtures, we've got Champions League football on Wednesday and Thursday, as Josh alluded to. Bayern Munich versus Salzburg. One all in the first leg. Quick prediction, Josh. Bayern? Uh, I think Bayern steamroll at home. Yeah. I think they go with a more uh, conventional formation this time, <laughs> and, and that should be too good. But but Salzburg, they are dangerous, yeah. dangerous on the break. So that one's not over. Absolutely. The other one that might be over, though, is Liverpool versus Inter. Liverpool. I just can't yeah. see Inter. But I mean, it would be one of the great, the great comebacks if they were able to do it at Anfield. Josh, from a completely selfish standpoint, I want Inter to win because it would mean that they stick around in the Champions League. and that It'd be good for the coefficient, the too. It'd be fantastic for the <laughs> coefficient. Um, but I think Liverpool will be too good at home. It's at Anfield. But Ella's out. They've got a 2-0 lead. I just don't see Inter arresting it. But, hey, an early goal, and you never know. So 
How many changes does Pep make for Man City versus Sporting? On uh, 11. <laughs> 11. I think he has to. Yeah, they're up 5 0. I reckon they probably, I actually reckon they'll lose the second leg, but they'll <laughs> still qualify. They'll, they might lose like 2 0 or 2 1, but I still think that they'll go through. But this is the big one Real Madrid versus PSG at the Bernabeu. PSG winning that first leg 1 0. Is there a way back for Madrid? Because I think this is going to be a really fun 90 minutes. Maybe in the sense that not fun mm. from the football, but maybe fun from the dramatic a- aspect if Madrid can stay in the game. Well, it's definitely fun for the drama. The Mbappe factor is too much to look past. I, I think Madrid have to t- play on the front foot in this game. The ne- negative approach they took at the Parc des Princes was uh, to their detriment, and they in good goal-scoring form, judging on the weekend's performance. Um, I'll see if Camavinga's played his way into the starting eleven. He scored in that mm. win over Real Sociedad. He scored the opening goal. Um, so that's going to be really interesting to see whether they go with him and maybe provide a little bit more energy and pressing and, um, you know, change the dynamic of that midfield three. Um, Modric will probably start again. You imagine uh, Casemiro's suspension will force a bit of a reshuffle, but whether Chris comes back in, whether they go with a reshuffle with Valverde, that's a big decision for Ancelotti. I, I think the Casemiro suspension means uh, I think PSG will punish them on the break. Yeah. But I'm going to be enjoying this one because Madrid have to take the initiative. Yeah, and that's what we want to see. We want to see him actually come out, try to take the game on, make this interesting. But as you did say, PSG off the break potential in this game could be too good. And we know how good Marco Verratti was in that first game, so he's going to be one that certainly I'll be keeping my eye on. But the other games as well to keep an eye on this week, we've got Europa League action round the 16. Porto versus Lyon, Betis and Frankfurt as well on Thursday morning. On Friday, Sevilla versus West Ham. That's going to be a fun one. Atalanta, Bayer Leverkusen, Barca, Galatasaray, Braga, Monaco and Rangers versus Cravenas Vezda, a.k.a. Red Star Belgrade. So maybe Rangers might be the team to keep an eye on in the Europa League and also in the Conference League. Yes, we've got to give a bit of love to the Conference League as well. Uh, do we? Uh, Palk <laughs> versus Ghent, Partizan versus Feyenoord, Slavia Prague up against Lask. That's James Holland's Lask. Vitesse versus Roma, Bodo Glimt versus AZ Alkama, Leicester versus Rennes, Marseille, Basel, and PSV versus Copenhagen. Rangers have to win that one because uh, Red Star... You don't want to go there. You don't want to be <laughs> chasing the game at their stadium. Yeah. That is one of the most terrifying atmospheres oh, yeah. in world football. The, the tunnel? The tunnel is like full of graffiti and it's dark and it's concrete and you feel like you've stepped back in time into the old Soviet bloc. You know, it's an unwelcoming place. And then, you know, you've got the big athletics track and then just wall-to-wall flares, essentially. You know, it's just a wall of fire. Before we go, Josh, just I'm so glad that Milan played them when they did last season when fans weren't allowed in the stadium. Because <laughs> they that would have been like, forget about it. We would have lost and we ended up getting a draw in that game. But that is, I, I, I just, I would hate to be a player, an opposition player on that day. That's one of the games that I would dread, even if you're in the Serbian league as well, because just be like, oh my God. Like, Who was the player who had to be subbed off because they um, felt nauseous in the atmosphere? I, I think it was actually at Galatasaray. That might have been Timo Werner when he was at Leipzig. Interesting. Um, we'll, we'll do a bit of fact-checking. Yeah, because, uh, you know, it does affect players on a physical level. Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, Josh, time for us to say goodbye. Miss any of the show? Head over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud. Catch up on the full show. Leave us a like, a follow, a review. Let us know what you'd like for us to talk about. We're not too sure what the go is next Monday, guys. We're keeping it completely honest. It is Labor Day. Uh, Josh is off to Canberra next weekend, so he's off on a little bit of a holiday, a well-earned holiday. Uh, so we'll keep you updated on the FNR socials as to whether there'll be a show. But nonetheless, we're back in two weeks' time because we've got a bit of European qualifiers mm. with the World Cup coming around the corner. So things are going to get fun over the next couple of weeks. It was Werner. It was at Besiktas uh, in yes. Turkey. And he asked for earplugs. They didn't work. They subbed him <laughs> off after 31 minutes. So <laughs> I mean, it would be scary yeah. going to one of those grads being an opposition player. <laughs> I guess maybe that was a red flag for his uh, potential Premier League performances. Yeah, Does absolutely. It, doesn't quite have it <laughs> <laughs> under the spotlight. Or maybe was it just getting nauseous because he just runs too fast? It's like when you go in a fast car and you're going around too many quick corners and you start feeling a bit sick if you're not in the front seat. Maybe it was like that with Timo Werner. Maybe he's just running too fast for his own gut. I, I, I think he just got a little bit scared. Okay. He's okay. Got, I'm trying to give deer, him the benefit deer of the in the doubt. headlights. I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. But anyways, Josh... Time to say goodbye. We'll be back tomorrow. Radio Dub with a very special in-studio guest, Josh. Get can around reveal? it. Can we reveal it? Let's do it. Let's do it. Should we, should we bring Pakura in for yeah, this? Yeah, let's Pakura, give Pakura, Pakura the, jump on the mic. You know, I'll, I'll, I'm going to get the drum roll going. I'm going to get the drum roll going. The, the door's open, but she's not coming through. This is back from the Edgwood and days. All right, this is, all right let's go again. I can't even hear.
Because you're not wearing headphones. Yeah, no, that would help, wouldn't it? Hang on, you haven't got your mic on. No, no, it's still is. I think we have to go, take three. <laughs> See, that did happen to us okay, on Radio Okay, here we Dub go again. Week. Take three. <laughs> and on Radio Dub tomorrow, first in studio guest is Maya Markovsky from Melbourne Victory, ahead of their first finals game against Adelaide United. It's going to should be good. We're going to have a lot of fun. And you know what? Good content, as always, from Radio Dub. I'm looking forward to it, Pakua. I really am. We're going to have our first in-studio guest in quite some time. We had Matt Tillian a few weeks ago for the Green Room. They'll be back again on Wednesday. Yes, uh, indeed. What else we got planned for this week, Josh? Yeah, well, we'll have uh, uh, the Oz Football Hour tomorrow at 6 p.m. as well with myself and Jason Goldsmith and uh, State of Our Football Nation on Thursday as well. And uh, hopefully return of the EPL show. Oh, yes. Uh, I think it will be myself and, uh, and Nick Hughes. Uh, oh, Oscar's, nice. Oscars on Football Sack Duties. But uh, oh, we'll, yes. uh, we'll sign off for today. Thank you so much for watching the Euro show. Sometimes I feel... I don't know. I don't know. Buona giornata. Buona serata. Buona giornata. There's not really time to relax and take an espresso for Juventus. <laughs> You don't have to get a bad attitude. You don't have to get a bad attitude. Attackare! Attackare!